0: Apologize for my voice and for uh, all the coughing. Uh, I'll do my best to try to stay out of the mic uh, for that. And I've got a a bottle of water and some cough drops up here to go along with that. And prayerfully, the Lord will help us to get through that. And I may do more teaching, talking uh, tonight than actually uh, teaching or actually preaching uh, although I did feel what I preached this morning, I, I do believe that uh, that Psalm uh, 11, uh, whenever we talk about what will the righteous do, we're going to depend on the Lord and the Lord is going to help us and is going to guide us and direct us. But let's look tonight in Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, perhaps one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, but Ephesians chapter 6 and I want to read just verse 16. And uh, we will go back and look around at some of the verses around that. But Ephesians six and sixteen, the Bible says there. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And so, I want to tonight for the next few minutes or so, uh, let's uh, let's talk about how that the shield. Uh, works in our uh, in our lives. Uh, being a spiritual and a godly person in uh, our world today is something that you have to make a conscious choice that you're going to be a spiritual individual, that you're going to give your mind to thinking of those godly things. And uh, one of the old Puritans, Thomas Manton, uh, said it <clears throat> like this. He said, a Christian's life is a warfare and we cannot discharge the duties of it without there being a battle or a conflict that we're involved in. And I believe that that all of us are certainly aware. In fact, uh, that's probably a very common theme that I Uh, preach to you on a regular basis that you are indeed in uh, a battle. I'd like for you to turn back just a few pages with me in your Bible and look with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And notice where that Paul gives us the battlegrounds that we fight on. He says it in beginning in verse 1, Ephesians 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. That is the first battleground, the world. And then he says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, that's the second battleground, and that is the battleground that the devil uses. And them, among whom also uh, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And so in verse 3, you see the third battleground, and that is your flesh. And so if you ever wonder where that preachers get that, that say that the battlefield is with the world, the flesh, and the devil, that's where that comes from in those first three verses of Ephesians uh, chapter. Two, and yet in this area we have to realize that a lot of times that the enemy attacks in various ways, and our our faith is crucial. Whenever we are in these areas or arenas of struggle and temptations, they arise in the path of every individual believer. And there again is that part that we have to realize that that our temptations can work for us uh, if they push us to a place where that we say that we're going to pray and we're gonna give ourselves to a place where the Lord can support us in the midst of those temptations. There's other times where the temptations are necessary because what they do is they remove any quotient of self-confidence or any uh, matter of pride out of us to help us to begin to see how that we must depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I can also say that temptations help to conform us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Paul, whenever he was talking to the church at Galatia, he said that, that his desire was for them to be formed in the image or conformed into the image of Christ. And no disciple is above his Lord. And so our temptations helps us to begin to press into that area. Area. And then temptations sometimes can bring patience to us. We can be fierce and severe sometimes whenever we look at the failings of others. But when temptations comes in our direction and we begin to see that we have those same uh, tendencies for those temptations to capsize uh, our own soul, it can cause us to have compassion toward those that are struggling and battling with what they are having to deal with in their lives. And and so it is that when you look here at this passage, turn back with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 6, and I want to point out some things to you. Look there in verse 11. The Bible says they are put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then look in verse 13. It says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. What I did in my Bible was I took and I I put the word stand in verse 11. And then in verse 13, the word withstand, and then at the end, stand. And then in verse 14, stand. Just put four boxes around those words there because we begin to see that that same word, even though in in a couple of the verses... Uh, It uses, or one of the verses, it uses the word withstand. All of those have the same root, which tells us that we have to be anchored uh, in our battle. Turn back with me a page or so and look in Ephesians chapter four and look in verse 27. The Bible says there, neither give place to the devil. That word there, place, The Greek word there is topos, and you've heard that expression before to look at a a topographical map. Uh, What he's saying is this, is Paul is saying don't give any land to the devil whatsoever. It's important that you not give him any ability uh, to work there in uh, your life. And then notice what else he says. You say, well, if, if there's a case That we are not to give any of that to the enemy, then how are we supposed to do that? Well, look in verse 24. Uh, It says, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then here's where he gets into the part in verse 24. Uh, or 25, where that he begins to say, okay, these are ways that you can not allow the enemy, uh, to take away the land or where you're, the toepots that you're not giving any place to the devil. Put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, and be ye angry, and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath and then he continues in verse 28 He says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake had forgiven you and then he continues on even in the chapter 5 about how that there are ways where uh that we can make sure that we do not allow the enemy to gain a foothold in uh, our lives and and so that the enemy will use every trick possible, uh, every while, every deception that he possibly can to try to step into your life. But yet we have been filled with the Spirit, and so there's a responsibility that we have to take on the shield of faith. Now look back with me to uh, verse 16 of Ephesians 6. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. There, there are some that have, have come and mistakenly come to believe that the shield of faith is the most important uh, part of the armor because they take that word there where that it says above all from what Paul uh, is saying but yet when you look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 Paul is saying put on the whole armor of God not just take certain pieces of armor but you take all of the pieces of armor and you put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. So that word there, that phrase, above all, really kind of gives us the meaning that we are to position our faith over uh, every other implement of the armor that we have, knowing that our faith. Helps us to be able to mix all of those together. And again, I, I would just stress to you the importance of the fact that your faith can be laid down if Paul is saying in verse 16 for us to take the shield of faith it, it would seem that there is an ability uh that we would have to lay down uh a sh- our shield of faith but every roman soldier would have never gone into battle without uh his shield it was a guarantee that he would have some kind of protection against the flying art uh, 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 the flying Uh, arrows and the deadly darts of the enemy that would be shot uh, in his direction. Our faith is important, and there are scriptures that you find have faith in God, and we know and understand that as we have faith and confidence and trust in the Lord, that what does it do? It just tightens up my confidence and my relationship with the Lord. It's it's during those times whenever we begin to listen to the inner voice of doubt that sometimes our flesh uh, can rise up and even I I would say that a lot of you during this time while that we have been uh, physically sick, it has hindered our faith and has hindered even some of the physical strength that we put forth uh, while we are, we are <coughs> uh, praying. And, and again, it's, it's important for us to know that we have to put our confidence and our trust in the Lord, that if our prayers, that that they're limited sometimes by uh, the physical condition of our uh, body. And I I would just just say this here now that Sister uh, Napier shared with me, I would try to call her a couple of times a day while that, uh, after Brother Napier got out of the hospital and she said that she would go in and and uh, she would check on Brother Napier in his room and she said that she could hear him uh, in there praying, that he was calling uh, out to the Lord. And I don't know that that prayer was so much desperation as it was communication uh, that he was having, like all of us have had here, that we have asked the Lord fervently during times of need, that there has been a dependence. What were we doing? We're strengthening our faith to know that there's no way that we can take care of ourselves, but there is a God that has created this world, an invisible spirit that was robed in the flesh of Jesus Christ, that we can speak and we can have communication with the Lord to help us. And so your faith is very important, and yet it's crucial that we not lay down our faith faith in the battle. Turn over with me uh, to a few pages and look with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I would like to read verse eighteen uh, here in first Timothy. First Timothy chapter one and verse eighteen, Paul is writing uh, to F to uh, Timothy, who is the pastor there at Ephesus. He says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck now notice what paul does he says that in verse 18 if there's going to be a good warfare how are you going to do that and the answer is there in verse 19 you're going to hold faith and a good conscience and i would just say that a good faith and a good or holding a holding faith and a good conscience is going to be very much closely connected uh, in your relationship with God because your faith helps your conscience. There's a number of times in Paul's writings, in his epistles that he wrote where that he talked about a good conscience or a pure conscience, a clean conscience, one that was not accusing And and so therefore, we realize that our faith and our conscience are closely linked together. And when we put away our faith, what that does is that leads us to a place of shipwreck that can take place in uh, our spiritual lives. But Paul comes back, turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 6. He says again, this shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The shield that Paul was having reference to was a shield that was probably about the size of a small door, uh, interior door in your home, somewhere around 32 uh, to 36 inches wide, probably six feet to seven feet tall. And it was uniquely created in a way where uh, that there were buckles that were on the sides that were more so, instead of buckles, they were more like slots where they could take it and get connected up with the soldier that was there next to them. And and the name of that shield was a shield that was called the the Therios, uh, a a door uniquely. Oddly, the root word of that is meaning a door. And they would be able to advance forward and move, especially uh, if they were in a sense of unity. So you can imagine that as they all began to go forward toward the attack, that when all the piercing ar- or the piercing arrows that would be shot in their direction, that there would be almost like that there was a wall that was moving forward in the direction that would be able to protect them. But yet that shield was not made out of wood. It was made out of a leather uh, material that had been stretched over a wooden frame. It was important that every one of those soldiers would take out some oil, and that they would would anoint that shield on a very regular basis, so that that oil or that shield would not crack and dry in the midst of all that. Years ago, I preached a uh, sermon. I probably need to see if I can pull it out of the mothballs and repreach it again. But uh, in Second Timothy chapter one, where <clears throat> that it speaks. About Saul's shield being ca- being vilely cast aside because of its uh, lack of anointing, and so we have to make sure uh, that that our shield is is protected by an anointing, and and I would just say that that analogy fits here even. Now, it tells us that our faith needs a regular and a frequent application of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And if you had understand uh, that, I believe that all of you do, that, that you know. Uh, that, that what we're doing right now has a certain amount of being beneficial to us, but there is nothing like being in the house of God and being in a place where that there are saints of God that are worshiping the Lord uh, just like you, just across the aisle or across the way from you, that there is something about our faith that it grows whenever we are in a place of worship. Again, that's why we have got to open up the doors of our churches to be able to come into a place where that we feel the freshness of the Holy Ghost there. There is nothing like a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost that comes in uh, to our lives. And what it does is it keeps our, our faith from becoming brittle and hard and stiff. And if we ignore our faith, and there is not regular applications and prayer times and engagement with the word in times of knowledge only private prayer but public prayer then there becomes a time where that the shield of faith can get into a place where that it is neglected and and it no longer has the strength to be able to deter against the arrows that comes in our direction and faith that is ignored I'll tell you what happens. It will always and break and fall to pieces whenever it comes in contact with. Uh, the challenges and the confrontation uh, with the enemy. We can't go on our experiences in the past. We have got, they they may provide fond memories for us and they may uh, give us warm fuzzies whenever we start thinking about experiences that we have had uh, with the Lord years ago or even weeks ago. Uh, but but I would just tell you, we have to have an anointing of the Spirit of God on a regular basis. Past camp meetings, uh, they will not work. Past youth camps, uh, they may have some power of memory. Prayer meetings in the past, those won't work. Old commitments, those things will not work. Past victories, those are not enough. We have to have our faith to be anointed and our shield to be anointed by a steady work of the Spirit of God. There is nothing like a Fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost that saturates every one of our uh, weary spirits. And I'm anticipating next weekend that taking place here in uh, our uh, uh, church. A.W. Tozer. If you have have never read any of uh, A.W. Tozer's writings, he's very provocative. He was one of the revival writers of the 1950s and 60s and just has some very good things to say, but he preached a sermon one time about backsliding and he had these things to say. He said there's some things that takes place in uh, someone's heart whenever they begin to backslide. They lose interest in communion with God. They get bored with church and they're embarrassed by the zeal and by the energy of other Christians and they're embarrassed whenever the things of God are brought up in uh, a public setting. He, he, A man that's backsliding assumes a critical spirit toward everything related to the kingdom of God. And then he will become or have the tendency to become a professional in his relationship with God. And I'll just be frank with you, I was talking uh, to a friend of mine this past week, the pastor's up in uh, the north, I guess you'd say the Midwest or so, and I was just talking uh, to him and I, I told him, I said, I pray that I never become a professional preacher or professional pastor that it's important that some way that we give ourselves to a a part where that we do not backslide but Tozer went on to say he said that that a man that's backsliding gets tired of giving and he soon stops because it has become just a mere habit for him and and preachers can be guilty of backsliding you would be amazed sometimes at how much uh, that, that in a professional ministry setting that ministry can get distant from the lord how how can a preacher know that if he is backsliding well he no longer preaches with conviction any longer he no longer preaches what he used to preach in the past because he's embarrassed by his old heartfelt convictions, prayer lives that he has has only become has only become functional and that out of duty And, and ministry has gotten to be far more social than what it has spiritual his schedule is full of insignificant instead of the magnificent and he no longer gives himself time to think and to muse over the scriptures and to just think about the Lord and about the work of God he no longer pursues an unction and instead he tries to become a man of eloquence I pray that God would not allow me to fall into that part I've got to have an anointed shield just as much as you have to have an anointed shield there has to be a fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost that takes place in every single one of our lives And so whenever you say, well, the the challenge or what does the shield do? The shield quenches all of the fiery darts. When you start looking at the darts of the devil, they can be very uh, cantankerous and terrible to try to contend with because the enemies that he flings in our direction are not just normal arrows, but they are, as Paul writes it there in verse 16, he says they're the fiery darts of the wicked. And Paul, he knew something of that because he knew about how that the Romans in ancient warfare, one of the ways that they would take their arrows is they would take their arrows and they would dip them in a, a pitch, uh, a hot pitch, and then they would set that on fire, and they would shoot that arrow that had that flaming pitch so that whenever that arrow hit, that it would cause all of that pitch to scatter out, and it would be like almost like a a very primitive, uh, I guess you would say, a, a, a flamethrower, uh, so to speak, and, and the flame would scatter out. Uh, where they would splatter and they would ignite whatever they landed on, or Paul was aware as well that those those fiery darts. Uh, that they would take sometimes those arrows and they would dip them uh, into a poisonous fluid uh, of a variety of types and then they would shoot those arrows in hopes that uh, it would hit a soldier and it would poison him. And I I would just say again, we read this here just uh, a few minutes ago there in Ephesians 4 and 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you you with all malice. All of those things can be very poisonous to our spirit. And the enemy would love his best to try to get our spirits infected with those sorts of ways. And Paul said, here's the way that the enemy begins to work. Temptation doesn't fall onto us uh, like a ball of fire would fall on ice or snow. But here is what the enemy does. He studies and he works and he uses temptation and then he takes that arrow and he sends it in to a place that is dry. It's sort of like lightning hitting a thatched roof or, or uh, some kind of, of, of kindling, so to speak, where that whenever it hits, it immediately flames up. And the devil watches our lives and tries to bring us, or whenever we get to places where that we're dry and weary, he will send uh, those flaming arrows in our directions. James chapter 1, I'd like for you to turn over a few pages, look at what James writes uh, in his letter, James chapter one, and let's look in verse 13. James one and verse 13. He says it like this. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, it bringeth Forth death, And then he says, do not err my beloved brethren. There again is that awareness where that we need to be aware that temptation comes in our direction from the enemy of our soul and yet... Paul or James is saying here that we have to understand that there is a personal responsibility that all of us have to assume in our Christian walk uh, with the Lord to say that we know that the Spirit of God is going to be able to help us to be deterred from those temptations. And so if you set out on a semester of sensuality before you go lower to to go higher, before you lower your godly character, you need to consider some words from a very uh, surprising source. He says it like this. He said, the gods had given me almost every, thing, but I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. Tired of being on the heights, I deliberately went to the depths in search of a new new sensation. I grew careless of the lies of others. I took pleasure where it pleased me and I passed on from it. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character and that therefore what one has done in a secret chamber, one has someday to cry aloud from the housetop. I allowed pleasure to dominate me and I ended in horrible disgrace and if you're wondering who uh, would say those words, it was a man by the name of Oscar Wilde and he was a man that uh, in the literary world he was an author and he wrote some some books and and uh, was very highly regarded very talented very brilliant but he allowed his entire life to pursue pleasure until it so radically moved in that it destroyed him and that's the way that the enemy works he he, he allows a sense of of maddening to come over our souls and so Paul comes along and he tells the church at Ephesus and he tells Tells a church in Dothan. He's saying, listen. He said, you take the shield of faith Wherewith you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the enemy. Watch out for those fiery darts. Take heed of being the devil's tool to put sinful corruption on somebody else. Is my life, is your life leading somebody else in a way where that they are going to go astray? Don't allow yourself to get to a place where that you are overconfident and you think, oh, well, I will never fall uh, to that. Take care in knowing that the darts that the devil sends in our direction, that they can appear suddenly and swiftly and that they can take us suddenly and swiftly and we are to take care to understand that the darts can sometimes come from unexpected places, places of darkness, places where that uh, we can, that it can be the words of a friend or the influence of a boss at work, or or situations where that that we're in in a, in a place of peer pressure. It's always best to walk away from those situations instead of allowing your spirit to be drawn in to a place of spiritual failure. Remember this: the Lord needs to use every one of us to be a witness, and there are times where that if we move away from temptation, what are we doing? We're becoming a witness for those people that needs to hear the voice of God. These errors are shot by the devil and by our flesh and by the world, and they have a wounding and a killing nature to them. But you have to know that Paul spoke of that. He said that this ear that there are again the fiery darts of the wicked, but there is a promise that we have here in this verse. And, and I preached a few weeks ago about pleading the promises. This is a promise that you can plead and you can ask the Lord for because it says wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. So if the Lord provides us with a shield, if he provides us uh, with faith, then again, I'm just gonna say that faith moves him to more than just a personal faith that you have in salvation. Whenever I say that I speak of the faith, in fact, why don't we turn over for a moment uh, to what Jude writes in his short letter right before the book of Revelation. Here is what uh, Paul or what Jude writes. He was a half brother of Jesus. Look in verse. Three, Jude 3. The Bible says there, Beloved, I get, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered for the saints. And so there is that part that tells us that there is far more to this matter of the shield of faith than just my own personal faith, but there is a, a body of doctrine, and I know that some people say that doctrine is dull and boring and and so forth, but hear me out, I'll tell you what, I know this, that I have great confidence in the doctrine of the resurrection, especially at this time in my life, because this morning around 3.30 or so a.m., the doctrine of the resurrection, it caught Jake Napier by a place That is what I'm speaking to you about whenever we start talking about the shield of faith that Paul says that there is a promise here and every bit of this this shield, this faith, that it can totally shut down anything that the enemy would throw in your direction. Paul affirms to us. He says it has a quenching nature to it. It literally has the ability to consume and to shut down any bit of the flame or any bit of the poison that might be interjected into our spiritual system. Now, there were some that were quite overconfident in their walk with the Lord, but there's a scripture that gives us some direction with that. Why don't you turn again? Let's go back and let's look in 1 Peter chapter five. 1 Peter chapter five and let's look in verse five. It says, Likewise, Ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. But look at what else he says is connected to that humility. If you're humble, then you can cast all of your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast. How? In the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And then he says but the God of all grace who had called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ. After that, we, you have suffered a while. He will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you to him. Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And there again goes into that part that that faith that Paul speaks of, that faith that James speaks of, that faith that Peter speaks of has the ability to shore up and to move around us. The shield of faith can quench those fiery darts for those that are able to be clothed in humility and realize that our fight will never be effective if we do not depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is that, that we have to know that there is a quenching nature of the shield. The shield quenches those fiery darts of the wicked by helping us to see far beyond where this world is. It, it takes the mist out of the way. It helps us to see through sin and all of the horrible effects that sin has on our world. And I, I mentioned this morning while I was preaching that that my uh that my intake of of the news this past week has has been very uh, it's been very discouraging to watch and to see what's taking place not only in our nation but in our world to realize that we live in a fallen world. And so there's times where that that sin can put uh, or, or the condition of the world can put a mist in front of your eyes. What's the remedy to take and to move that mist out of the way? Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, for just a moment and let's look beginning in verse 24. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24. Here is what the writer says. He's speaking about Moses, uh, in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt for he had respect unto the recompense or the payoff of the reward and so by faith he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible and through faith He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And then by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by the dry land which the Egyptians assaying to do also were drowned there. And by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. And so again, that roll call of the faithful there in Hebrews 11 that tells us about what faith does, that there's times where that all we can see is Egyptians rising, up or pursuing us. We don't see a way of escape. We we feel like that they're breathing down our neck and then we get to swollen Jordans and we ask ourselves how are we going to get across the Jordan or how are we going to get in to the land of promise and yet we have to understand that faith has a piercing eye and it can see so much further than what the carnal unspiritual eye has. And so our faith, this shield that you have here, it quenches those fiery darts by taking every bit of the fuel that's burning away from them. And if you empty out the lamp of its oil, that lamp is gonna go out. And our pride is what fuels carnality sometimes. And we have to realize that if we move away from that, then the Lord can help us. I want you to turn back in your Bibles and look at this verse verse, this is a very good verse uh, for you to see. Psalm 73, uh, it deals with the prosperity of the wicked, and, and Asaph is talking about that. how that he goes in and he sees the prosperity of the wicked, and, and uh, it seems like that their way is so much easier and lighter than what a saint of God is marching. But look in verse 17 of Psalm 73. Asaph writes this. He said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Surely, Lord, you have set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into destruction. And how are they brought into desolation as in a moment and they are utterly consumed with terrors. Again, link that up with Psalm 11 that I preached to you here this morning. What are the righteous going to do? They're going to look to a holy God. So what are you gonna do Whenever you're faced with the challenges of life and the fiery darts of the enemy, now you look to your faith. we look to a holy God in the heavens. And realize that God is there with, he's got everything, he's sovereign, he is in control. But when we look to our individual faith, there can also be that same amount of confidence and trust that we can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith tells us that if you add the entire world, it wouldn't add one height to your inch in the eye of God. If you had the entire glory of this world, it would not satisfy your soul. If you had the crown of the world on your head, it would not last because there is a judgment that is waiting for all. And perhaps one of the greatest ways that we can look in the scriptures and to ask ourselves, how did other people deal with the challenges that they faced in uh, their lives? It is for us to look to those heroes of faith where that rather than defile their conscience and prostitute what God had given to them, that there was something that took place in their hearts and in their spirits. So in in conclusion, I want to share some of these scriptures with you. Turn with me uh, to Daniel chapter 1. And I'm sure this is a familiar scripture to you, or I hope it is. Daniel chapter 1. And look with me to verse eight. The Bible says in Daniel chapter one and verse eight, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And so when we look at that, we understand that Daniel was a man that said, you know what, there are fiery darts. I feel the pressure to conform here to Babylonian society, but he purposed in his heart that he would not do that. Now turn with me back uh, to Hebrews chapter 11 and look with me to verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed, That they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They died in faith. They didn't receive the promises down here, but they died in faith, believing that the Lord was going to be able to deliver. And then skip down to verse 33. Of Hebrews 11, it says, Who through faith they subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire and escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned and were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, so- tormented. And I love this phrase that is just kind of slipped in there. It's a parenthetical phrase. It says, Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these having obtained a good report through faith. Receive not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. And so it is that we start understanding this matter that not only is faith our shield, but again, that bigger body of faith. Jude 3 that I read just a few minutes ago, our common salvation, earnestly contend for the faith. Psalm 3 and 3, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. Psalm 28 and 7, the Lord is my strength, and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped, and therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. Psalm thirty three and twenty, our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. There there is a host of other scriptures that you can find that can be settled in with that. And just know here tonight, church, your 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 shield is working. Your faith is working. You may feel miserable. You may feel tired. You may feel weary. And I know that that, that a lot of us have, have felt uh, the challenges of the sickness. We felt the pressure. That we see going on in our society, but I want to tell you this: God's going to rise above every bit of it, and the Lord is going to have a church that is going that the Lord is going to sustain. I I, again, I I I, I'm so thankful that that our church here is not uh, driven by personality, is not driven by program, but it's driven by people that love the Word of the Lord and people that know how to pray. And the Lord is going to help us and sustain us through every bit of the challenges that we're facing. And so I would just tell you here tonight that the shield still works. Your shield works. My shield works. Because God is our shield. I'd like to pray for you here tonight. Lord, I'm thankful for your goodness, and again, Lord, despite our our physical limitations here tonight, we still know that, that our faith, God, is strong. We sense, Lord, your presence, and I ask you, Lord, tonight that you let the faith, God, of your word, the faith of the Spirit.